Welcome to the Startup of the Year podcast, where each episode we showcase exciting new companies from around the world. This podcast is produced by Established, creators of the Startup of the Year program. Established is focused on helping organizations with their innovation, startup, and communication strategies. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Startup of the Year podcast. I'm Frank Gruber, the co-founder and co-CEO of Established. Also the co-founder of Established Ventures and the team behind the Startup of the Year community and this very podcast. And we appreciate you being here today. So thank you. In this episode, I'm going to talk to my longtime friend and colleague, John Guidos. You may have heard of him previously on the, the pod here, as well as um, being an integral part of the Somewhat Frank podcast. So you may have heard of him. His nickname is Johnny Goodtimes. He's a lot of fun, but he's a really smart guy too. And he's our COO and uh, here at Established, as well as a member of the investment arm at Established Ventures. But in this episode, we're not talking about any of that. We're actually talking about something he did previously when he co-founded in 2015, a startup that grew all the way to successful acquisition in 2017. That company is called Turbo Appeal. It was based out of Chicago. And uh, he uh, participated in 2015 in the Start of the Year Awards out in Las Vegas, did tremendously well. And uh, that company, Turbo Appeal, is an evidence-based data-driven technology that worked to present uh, a more accurate tax property appeal process on behalf of real estate property owners. So pretty cool technology in the uh, property property tech space. Uh, and uh, I was an advisor to that company actually as well after after they came out to Las Vegas and uh, got a front row seat on their startup journey and uh, couldn't be happier for John and all of his successes with that company. And I uh, look forward to talking to him about it here in a moment. Before we get started though with the interview, I want to talk, uh, I actually want to share a segment uh, from Rich Malloy from the Established Adventures and Established Team with the VC Minute. Take it away, Rich. Hi, this is Rich Malloy with Established Ventures, bringing you the VC Minute. Quick advice to help startup founders fundraise better. Let's talk about Runway. This is the last piece of the VC treadmill, for now. When you set out to raise a round of capital, you'll get asked about your runway. This is important because fundraising is a waste of your time. Okay, I'm being dramatic, but fundraising isn't the point of the business. It's the process to get the fuel to build and scale the business. Fundraising is part of building a highly scalable, fast-growing company. And while it brings money in the door, it doesn't directly serve your purpose, which is to create something of value. You and I both know that your time is better spent building product, acquiring customers, and building a team. So as an investor, I know that fundraising could take six months or more in a worst-case scenario, or maybe one month in a best-case scenario but let's call it three months to raise a round. And if you only have 12 months of runway, you need to start your raise nine months from now. So coming back to the analogy, you need to hit goals that will propel you to the next level on the treadmill. Can you realistically achieve significant progress in nine months? Probably not. Or let me put it another way. If you had to hit a specific growth objective, would you want to have nine months to hit that mark or 12 months? What about blowing it out of the water in 15 months? Putting my investor hat back on, I need to be sure you have enough runway to hit your growth goals to get to the next level. And I would rather you take 15 months, knock the cover off the ball, and maybe even get preempted for your next round. That's why runway is important. That's all for the VC Minute. Back to you, Frank. Thanks, Rich. I'm sure our listeners will find that information helpful. Thanks so much. Now switching gears, I want to invite all the startup founders out there listening to join our growing startup community and partake in our 2021 Startup of the Year Awards. 
application is open right now. And uh, if you're listening and you're a startup founder and you've raised less than $5 million in funding, have a functional prototype beyond just the idea and are out there and want to get get out further, take advantage of the opportunity to meet investors, get more exposure, build re- lasting relationships, you should apply immediately. Go to SOTY.link forward slash apply, SOTY.link forward slash apply. The top 100 companies that apply each year are brought out to our summit. And that summit will take place at the end of the year. And that's an additional opportunity for building connections, relationships, showcasing, and potentially taking home the title of Startup of the Year. So it should be a blast. I'm looking forward to it. Looking forward to getting back into uh, seeing people in real life, which is kind of cool. So that'll be coming up, but you got to apply. You got to start with applications. So go to SOTY.link forward slash apply and become a part of our community today. All right. Next, we always like to share tools that our startup founders in our community can take advantage of. One of which today is, is called TaxTaker. If you're not familiar, there's uh, tax credits out there for research and development that any startup that's develop, developing products and services or technology can take advantage of, even if you're not profitable. So you can go out there and actually take advantage of this right away. Our friends over at TaxTaker are making it easy for founders to get uh, the savings that are due. All you have to do is 100% free to sign up. Go over to taxtaker.com forward slash SOTY. Again, it's taxtaker.com forward slash SOTY. Um, be sure to check them out because they, they'll actually, um, allow you to, they'll actually see if you qualify. And then obviously you can start saving right away. So again, it's taxtaker.com forward slash S O T Y. All right. Now let's get to it. Johnny good times Guidos about talking about his company and his success with turbo appeal. Welcome John Guidos. So great to have you here today. Thanks Frank. Great to be here. We're here to talk about all the, all the adventures that went along with that two year stint there that just was phenomenal for uh, the, the business as well as for your, I'm sure your life. So for those that are unfamiliar though, John, can you please explain what Turbo Appeal really was and, and what, what it was all about? Absolutely. And um, it's nice to talk about this again. It's been a few years, bringing back some old memories, but sure, for, for sure. So we started Turbo Appeal as an opportunity to bring big data, machine learning into the world of property tax, uh, the property tax space. Historically, homeowners would go to attorneys or do it themselves and they would uh, appeal their property taxes. Uh, I could go into some examples of that, but it's a, it's kind of complicated. So what we did was we tried to take the com- complexities out of it and homeowners could go online to our website, type in a few pieces of information, agree to our terms, and we would file property taxes on their behalf. And the product kind of took many different iterations. That's where we started at. Ultimately, we were building you know a very automated process that basically homeowners could you know swipe their credit card and print out a packet and file the appeal on their own behalf for a very minimal fee compared to others in the same space that were, you know, competitors of ours. And then uh, we also started building out a commercial product as well, which was gaining some traction and basically led to our exit. So I know I bounced around a lot there. Uh, As I mentioned, this is looking backwards now. So can't really, if you took a snapshot in time at the beginning, what we did versus the end, completely different. That makes sense. And John, can you explain a little bit more about where the the idea came from? I know, you know, let's talk about what the past, you know, what people would do in the past, kind of go get their property taxes and and how you guys kind of came came about in making this company happen. But my co-founder and I, Bavel Shaw, we sat down, we were colleagues and friends for, for some time beforehand before we started the company, we literally sat down for a beer. Uh, I was an attorney at the time, practicing attorney, litigating attorney. And he posed the question and said, let's work on something together. Do you have any, do you have any ideas, right? Do you, 
uh, is there any way to automate being an attorney? And I said, well, you know, I don't know if we can automate being an attorney, but there's certain aspects and tools we could probably build to help attorneys. And one of the things I'd been sitting on for years and kind of doing research in the background and was, you know, the property taxes. And I had filed a, a few for friends and family and some, some high net worth people in my network. And it you know, was always scratching my head. And I was like, this is so crazy. This is monotonous. This is very, it was a very difficult process, right? And so I'd always thought, man, a big data company needs to come in here and clean this up and really automate and build efficiencies in this space. How did you, um, how did you start it? Like, what was the first kind of iteration, I guess you could say? My words of advice have always been, don't quit your day job, start a side hustle. And then if it picks up steam or whatever, then you can take it on as a full-time job. And that's basically what happened. Um, I would say the turning point was we con we were in contact with some of the larger real estate technology or real estate players in Chicago. Uh, App Properties ended up being a, a big investor and a huge channel partner for us. Not you know what was great about it was we knew we had a good we were onto something. Not only did these people say yeah this is a great idea and we'd love to work with you all, but we're also interested in being investors. You know can we can we come on as investors? At that point, you know, once we started taking on investor money, I think Bob and I looked at each other and said, okay, you know, now this has become a full-time job and we need to build this thing and scale it up as best as we can. That makes sense. And then how did you find like that first customer? Do you remember the first customer? Or, I mean, sometimes you do remember it, sometimes it's a blur. So I'm curious if you remember your first customers and like what that looked like. We were working with some friendlies so that we could work out some of the kinks, but basically had to take my, you know, my domain knowledge of the property tax space and then create, you know, the, well, the, the, the logic of what we were doing. So we, you know, we signed up some friendlies, you know, a lot of our people, you know, the great thing about the product was if you ask who the customer is, it's basically everybody that owns a home. So obviously we had friends and family that owned homes. And so they were gracious enough to allow us to, to try out the product. And we, we saw great success with it. I mean, we were having really good success rate with what we were trying to do, which validated what we were doing. And then we put out the website and it was really cool because every day you'd wake up 100 new customers, 200 new customers the following day. And uh, we would joke around that our, our mood was kind of delegated by how many signups we would have every day. But like I said, it, it was a good problem to have because, you know, you could start, have a great idea, but if you don't have any customers, then it's just a great idea. Whereas we kind of launched and then all of a sudden we, it was like a, a drinking from a fire hose, as people say, right? Where we had more customers and we knew what to do with, and we had to quickly hire and, and build the company out. So and those are good problems to have for a startup founder. Absolutely. That sounds like the right approach. And then as you continue to grow, you, I mean, you started B2C, right? And, and shifted a little bit towards more B2B. Yeah, we, we started out at B2C and when you're managing thousands of customers, uh, the cost to operate is very expensive. You have to have a whole customer service team on board, right? So basically, yeah, we did start um, B2C, but then we quickly realized that our channel partners were some of our best allies for minimizing our customer acquisition costs. So we did end up ultimately becoming B2B2C, let's call it. So we would sell our services to some of these larger real estate investment groups, REITs and, and other providers that would then, you know, roll it out to their individual customers and clients. Oh, interesting. Okay. And then maybe um, tell us a little bit more about how, how you grew the company with that, that in that direction. And then was your goal always to exit or what, what, were, what were you looking at as you were kind of building this out? Right. We were very transparent with our investors uh, from the beginning, I like to think, uh, and that we were building this and, and trying to seek an acquisition sooner rather than later. 
So we built very fast and yeah, and we were able to do so. It was funny though, because you know, you're, you're two founders walking around basically with, you know, an envelope full of documents and two laptops. And then, and then you, like I said, you start bringing on all of these clients and you need additional people and then you turn around a, a month or two later and you have an office and I don't know, five to 10 employees, something like that. And as you scale it, it sounds exciting, but you know, as you grow and you create those various layers, uh, you ultimately become, you know, just a, an HR coordinator <laughs> and you're hiring people and managing and, and dealing with egos and all that sort of thing. So, yeah, absolutely. All right. So you know, you guys went through the, the startup of the year community in 2015. Was that prior, that was priority raising, right? So you were kind of just getting going back then. Let's talk about that experience and then what that, you know, what that led to as far as you ended up, you know, going out and raising and all that. So let's talk through that time. Yeah, sure. So we, it was all happening in parallel, but yeah, we did in 2015, we participated, we became, we were runners up. Um, and we were very excited about that last, you know, coming out to Las Vegas and participating in all the events and meeting all of the other co-founders was just really a lot of fun, right? And very exciting for us and our, our new company and just an idea at the, well, it was more than an idea at the time, but created some larger conversations. We got a lot of investors, internet, like let's call it nationwide investors. We had a lot of Chicago investors that were on board and excited, but created some bigger conversations and, and had some conversations with some nationwide investors and that sort of thing. Um, so yeah, we ended up raising a, a seed round and then we ultimately raised a series A. Um, and what I was excited about was if you looked at our cap table, I mean, we had some of the, we had some really big hitters on there in the real estate world and the real estate tech space. A lot of it too was strategic investors. So we tried to be as smart about it as we could and brought on people that could help us distribute our product and get us in the hands of um, a, a number of different uh, customers quickly. Let's talk about that a little bit more, John, the strategic investors, because I think some people believe that strategic investors might be dead weight. Like there's been that kind of tossed around this, you know, startup, startup ecosystem, like, oh, certain strategic investors are going to just look and, you know, sit on you, your idea and maybe weight you down and maybe then just, you know, maybe acquire you or to pounce on you or whatever. Whereas others are more value added, right? They're going to continue to push forward and try to like make sure the business is, is moving and because they see a, a bigger picture there. So let's talk about the value of the strategic investors that you worked with and, and how that all kind of turned out. Strategic investors were amazing. I mean, they opened up opportunities, introduced us to people, not only other investors, but other bigger commercial clients, let's call it. Um, I can't say enough about it. I, I see total value in it. In my opinion, if you could only work with strategic investors, that would be the route to go. Although, unfortunately, that doesn't happen to be the case all of the time, right? You know, nothing, it was it was one thing if we're out there beating our own chest and telling people, use our product, it's the greatest thing in the world. But if you're utilizing, a let's say, a, a, an app properties, and for those unfamiliar in Chicago, that properties is the number one real estate company, we're brokerage, right? And so if they were sending out a direct mailer to all of their customers saying, hey, work with our trusted partner, Turbo Appeal, and you could save X amount of, potentially save X amount of money on your property taxes. I mean, our, like I was talking about earlier, the dashboard we were using, and you, you'd see that huge spike going uh, through the roof on the next morning of people signing up. Really interesting. Did you do other things as well? Did you do, you know, back then, was there a big push on Instagram or like Facebook or anything like that? Or 
Where, oh yeah, we tried we tried all of those things. I mean, we had billboards around Chicago, which were kind of fun. We mm-hmm. we use we we advertised on the radio. Chicago was our first market, and then we mm-hmm. had a plan to to scale nationwide, and we went to a few different markets, Florida, mm-hmm. Texas, uh, etc. But but Chicago was kind of our you know where we started mm-hmm. out. So it, it was a lot of fun at the time. I mean, there was a nice buzz. You know, somebody like a friend of the family or something would say, "Oh, I heard you know your ad on the radio, or we saw your billboard as we were sitting in." traffic or whatever and it was kind of it was, it was a lot of fun yeah no definitely all right let's switch gears a little bit and talk about some of the entrepreneurial stuff so like what were some of the things you look for in a founder right so just kind of think about this what's the most important qualities of a startup founder like what what are some of the things that maybe you thought wow this is really helpful in in my journey when you were doing it yeah i think the ability they call it grit and yeah, i've heard this a lot but it really is true some days are better than others and uh, you need to be able to get through those those rough times. And I mean, I can tell you right now, people don't talk about it a lot, but there were times where, you know, uh, my co-founder and I sat down and we were talking about scaling back our team and creating a, a skeleton crew to kind of get through a rough patch. And then all of a sudden, the next day, we, we signed up a huge channel partner and we were oversubscribed for the round we were trying to raise, right? So it's like literally from one day to the next. But you got to you got to have the wherewithal to to stomach through some of those those rough times. So that that would be my number one. And then two is also I think for me, and I'm kind of like you know sometimes you have to balance others, right? Is a clear and consistent messaging. And I think a lot of that has to do with if you're building a team, you, you know, you need to if, if you come in every day and you're trying to fit, you act like you're trying to figure things out or you, you pivot at the drop of a hat. If a, a new product or something doesn't go as well as, as planned, you start to lose a lot of trust from, you know, not only your team, but heaven forbid you have a board and the board starts seeing you lose focus or, or, or lose trust in your team and your customers as well. You know, trying to be a strong, clear, consistent leader is, a, is another thing that's, I think, is very important. It takes a certain type of person, as I mentioned, to, to bring onto your team that also has the patience and flexibility to work through some of those problems or some of those uh, issues with you. I guess coming into things, I never thought that hiring would be that hard. And it really is. And so you can work with whatever it be recruiters or put out ads on, you know, career builder or whatever. But really our, the most success we had was people within our own networks that really um, came on and added value to the company. And you also had a kind of an understanding of their personality beforehand. And again, depending upon how quickly you're trying to scale and build the company, you may not have that luxury, but you know, people that, that knew of somebody that was looking for a role and had a, a, a nice uh, background and successful background oftentimes translated to success in the company. Did you end up, um, you know, finding people quickly, though, or was it was it a struggle? We found people pretty quickly and some of those worked out. They say, you know, hire fast, fire fast, which I don't, I don't love that saying, but it is true. I think that you have a pretty good understanding if somebody's going to fit in with your company rather quickly, probably in the first month or so. And look, sometimes it's a fit and sometimes it isn't. We don't want to waste our time and we don't want to waste the other person's time. And we don't sure don't want somebody dragging themselves in and being miserable every day. So if it's not meant for them, then, you know, we wish them the best. We try to help them, you know, find a land on their feet with somebody else or a partner or something like that. But uh, yeah, we were able to hire rather quickly. And like I said, some worked out and, and some didn't. And you know, we, I will say that I am proud of the team that we built. And some of those actually came with us after the acquisition to the, to the acquiring company. And I still have a great longstanding relationship with a lot of those people. And I consider them close friends. All right. Great. Um, so 
maybe could you share a little bit more about um, your leadership strategies as you kind of work through um, this early stage startup? What were kind of some of the things that worked for you? I kind of alluded to them earlier, um, you know, clear, consistent messaging with your team. You know, I think that's important. And then also not, you know, sometimes people get into a, a thing where that you're trying to make so much happen so quickly that you start throwing stuff against the wall and, and hoping something will stick and it really loses focus. It can, it can oftentimes, you know, be a distraction for the team. And then look, you know, as a startup, you're, you're trying to disrupt something that, you know, a lot of times you're trying to do something that nobody's ever done before, or you're doing it in a different way. So there is a sense of figuring things out. And I think that as a leadership team, if look, if you go in the conference room and you close the door and you, you know, you whiteboard it out and you, you figure it out, that's great. But you also need to be, have some strategy with how you roll that out or how you get buy-in from your team and, and you communicate it clearly so that people have direction and, and, and understand when I come into the office, these are my expectations and this is what needs to get done so that I can add value to the overall future of this company. Now, back then, did you guys use any devices, like tools? Like, did you use Slack? Did you, well, it didn't probably exist yet, did it? <laughs> no. Uh, what did you guys use to kind of make sure that there was communi constant communication between your team, especially as you grew? Mostly email and phone. I mean, um, yeah. it sounds crazy because it was only a couple of years ago now, but yeah, Slack wasn't mm -hmm. around. And we, what I do feel good about too is, you know, we were a startup, but like internally, we used startup to our benefit when we were uh, trying to create buzz around the company. But internally, you know, our founders came from a long line of working in big industry, right? And so we, I mean, we did have a a very good uh, HR process. We had a great onboarding. I, I like to think really good onboarding and offboarding processes and in our internal system. And we were we were providing you know Fortune 500 benefits to our our team and um, and those sorts of things. So uh, we were a really I'm proud to say we were a, a really well run machine or company rather quickly. That's great. All right, so let's talk about the acquisition now. So you. You guys were, you know, had raised some funds. You were growing. What happened? Tell me the to kind of tell our listeners a story about how that acquisition process kicked off and maybe like how it all went down. Sure. So we started working with a customer and we were building out, it was a, it was a commercial property tax group and we were building out a commercial product for them because we had a, a, a lot of really great uh, developers and a technology team led by our CTO, Scott Beeson who's a, a really, you know, a good person, not only a good person, but also he has the development skills and also the the business side of it as well. So he could understand and, and connect some of those dots where he would understand the, the business need in addition to uh, building out the, the product, which was great. But um, yeah, so we were building out a commercial product for one of our uh, biggest customers. And ultimately, they I think they took it in internally and said, okay, well, maybe we can acquire Turbo Peel and, and roll them in and build out a residential property tax product. And, and also, it was also a talent acquisition as well with our some of our leaders and our develop, development team as well. Gotcha. And how did that process go? I know some acquisitions can take a while. Um, you know, I've been through it. It took us a long time to go through due, due diligence and all that. How did that all go down? It was the, a uh, kind of stories. <laughs> It was a roller coaster of emotions, Frank. <laughs> um, I, I know. I figured it would be. But yeah, the diligence process is—you know—you learn a lot, but it, it was rather. It, I think it was about a six-month process from beginning of interest to closing of the deal. 
one day you would think, okay, this deal is not going to work out. It's not the right fit. It's not happening. And then the next day it's all rainbows and sunshine again. This is going to be the, the, this is the right decision. This is going to be huge. We're going to team up with this group and, and blow things out of the water. Again, that idea of grit and, and being able to weather some of those rough times was, was really important. We, we set ourselves up from day one, whether it be our data repositories and the way we were tracking our files and our contracts, like really trying to do so, so that literally when the acquisition, and this is what we did, is when they came to us and said, hey, we want to take a look at your data room, we were literally able to flip a switch and they had access to all of our files and everything was already organized. It was all there. I mean, there was a few things that we had to track down or clean up, but for the most part, it was a, on our end, it was a pretty... Um, seamless process. You know, from day one, you should keep those things in mind instead of just, oh, we'll get around to it at some point because you never know when a potential acquirer could be coming around. And then, I mean, you could create a, a lot of headache and uh, additional work if you're not doing things correctly from the get-go. Right. And so you guys raised seven something million and this kind of popped up as, as an acquisition opportunity. What were your thoughts when that happened? Were you thinking, oh gosh, we're gonna take it immediately? Or were you like, oh, we gotta go out and raise more? Or was it so good that you had to just jump on it? Or how did that all go down? And what was, what were your th- what was your thought process back then? Um, in the space we were in, there was a huge data issue where there's not, there's not a lot of good real estate data for the purposes of property taxes out there. And they had another portfolio company that was a data vendor that you know was working to have all of that information so that would solve one of our one of our largest problems so we looked at it as a as a a great partnership uh opportunity for us and and we explored it and look i mean it, it you know we had to do our diligence as well to make sure it was the right group and we tried to do so but Basically, it was, you know, the idea was to be the convergence of various things to, to help achieve our ultimate goal. Okay. And you you stayed with the company a little while after, right? Um, yep. Kind of locked in. How long was that and how did that all go? I stayed on for a year, which was what, you know, the agreement was for. It was interesting, right? Um, the one thing, and I've thought about this a lot, is I try to think of an analogy for what the exit was like. And it, basically, what I've boiled it down to is it's like you're selling a car. Right. You put all of this love and attention and you're, you're building this car and spend years doing so every waking minute. And you love this car and then you ultimately sell it to somebody else and they can do whatever they want with it. Right. They can take it to a car show and show it off and it's their car or they could park it in a garage and just put it under a cover and it's it's their baby to do what they want with it. Right. So, um, you know, some of that stuff's interesting to, to think about, but. Ultimately, there has to be a reason why you sell it. So you have to be comfortable with doing so. And, you know, you put your ego aside and that's just the way things are. Well, it was, uh, you know, I stayed on and, and for a year and tried to help out the, the new company as best as I possibly could. All right. So now let's talk about what kind of things kind of kept you going through that process, through that roller coaster process of the acquisition and just, you know, the ups and downs of startup life. Are there any habits or rituals that you do to kind of like keep keep yourself going, motivated? positive and moving, moving things forward. The idea of running a, you know, a startup and, and is very exciting. Waking up every morning, you never know what kind of adventure you're going to go on, who you're going to talk to, who you're going to meet, what's going to happen, what problems you're going to have to solve. And I really love that. I still do. I also love the idea of camaraderie of a team and, and building out a team and all of the things that come with that. I know culture is a big word that's used, but building out a culture, doing fun things, having inside jokes and 
I don't know. I, I just really enjoy that. That helped me get through it. And then also the idea of helping out your customer and trying to change the world for the better. And we set out, and this can't be overlooked. And I should have mentioned it earlier, but you know, ultimately you're helping people save money and some people, you know, uh, have it better than others. And if you can help people save money, you never know, uh, you could help them, you know, uh, have Christmas gifts for their kids or, or feed themselves. Now, like, I'm not trying to be overly dramatic, right. But ultimately we were, we, we set out to, to help people and I hope to think we, we did so. All right. So, um, last question, what advice would you give to any new young entrepreneurs out there? My advice for startup founders is you don't have to have all the solutions up front. You're going to iterate. It's it's so cliche and it's but it's so true, right? Is if you have an idea, it's just an idea, right? I mean, anybody can have an idea. Um, you, you need to execute and you need to make it happen. And you need to, there needs to be a sense of fearlessness in you to go every day and, and try to do something different. And you really got it. You have to be fearless and you also have to be accepting of the fact that you don't have all the solutions, but you also trust in yourself that you have the capacity to figure things out and you will figure it out. I appreciate that. I agree hundred percent. So thanks, John. Do you have any final thoughts, plugs, ideas, anything else you want to share with the, uh, audience. Right. So after all, you know, that experience with Turbo Peel, I went on to uh, work with a, another startup with my co-founder and then uh, really wanted to work with you, Frank, and uh, the team at Startup of the Year. And we're, we're doing, we'd like to think we're doing some some good things and providing resources for startup founders out there. So, you know, everybody that's listening, go ahead and apply for Startup of the Year or, or join our community to, to check out some cool resources, meet some people, have a little bit of fun, right? Yeah, so that's really my biggest plug. If anybody wants to contact me, I, I'm on LinkedIn, shoot me a note and, um, you know, happy to talk to people and, and meet people and connect. Thanks, John. I'm sure our listeners can learn a lot from what you just shared as you took that simple idea and uh, built it all the way to a successful exit. I'm so proud of what you've been able to accomplish and just happy to be a friend of yours. You've done some, some amazing work. So thanks for being here and being a part of this team and uh, joining us at Establish as well. It's been a, a lot of fun working with you every single day. All right. Well, I hope uh, you enjoyed this episode and you were able to take something interesting from the conversation. If you enjoyed it, please do share it with someone that you think will find this helpful. Sharing is caring and we want to spread the word. And if you have a startup idea and you want to get it going, today is the best day to start up. Not tomorrow, not the next day. Get it going, iterate. And in doing so, I encourage you to join our community for access to support, expert advice, and resources that you may need to elevate your startups to the next level. And you can just do it by simply going to SOTY.link forward slash apply. And you'll get an email back and you'll learn a lot about the different resources that we provide immediately, including a Slack community and a number of other things coming up. So you should do it today. Don't wait. Until next time, I'm Frank Gruber signing off. Thanks again for listening. Wishing you the best of luck and future success with your venture. Thanks for listening to the Startup of the Year podcast. Be sure to subscribe and we'll be back with another episode soon. 